0: Um, so uh, I'd like to uh, introduce Professor Peter Bridgewater. Um, uh, professor Bridgewater has recently been appointed to the chair of Landcare OCT and has an extensive career in academia and biodiversity conservation, uh, both in Australia and overseas, and is currently a professor in the terrestrial and the marine governance at the Australia University of Canberra, um, past roles for uh, Peter has included uh, CEO of the Australian Nature Conservation Agency, mm-hmm. and at the global level, Secretary General of the Ramsar Convention, Secretary of UNESCO's Biosphere Reserve Network, and most recently, Chair of the UK Joint Nature Conservation Committee. Um, uh, uh, Professor Bridgewater is going to talk to us with, uh, on the uh, topic of land care, driving climate change action in the Anthropocene. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Peter. Uh, so uh, the two messages, I think, from, from Mark's talk, which fit, I hope, very nicely in the mind, uh, that uh, you need to think outside the box and be prepared for the change that's coming. I want to uh, start with a new flash from Mulligan's Flat, which was in Canberra Times yesterday, where our Threatened Species Commissioner <coughs> that the fenced-off populations of Mulligan's Flat, which are now going to be increased into an even larger fenced-off population, were like Noah's Ark. They asked to help us get to the long-term goal of a feral cat and fox-free Australia. By tackling feral cats, foxes and fire, but particularly by reconnecting habitat and rebuilding habitat, we give our species the best chance to adapt to the climate change we can't avoid," he said. So at least the Threatened Species Commissioner has identified that climate change is about and that adaptation is necessary. The problem is that um, threatened species might not be the best way to talk about this, and I'll, I'll touch on that as we go through. I should also issue a health warning now, that I'm going to be quite heretical at some point in this presentation. Not necessarily because I totally believe everything I say. Uh, I've been a long-time bureaucrat. Uh, But but because uh, I want to make you think. Uh, And I think because that's also a message that comes through from Mark's talk. We need to think seriously about these things. And when he said that if you ask a wide variety of experts on where are the best places to do X, you might get a wide variety of answers. In some ways, we're on our own. And adaptation has to be something we do on our own. Uh, and uh, it's, in fact, what has been called adaptive management. So, let me start. Oh, this is some fancy thing from Microsoft. OK. <laughs> so Adapting to what, or for what, or against what? That again picks up on something that that Mark was saying. These are questions that I think we need to keep very clearly in mind. Uh, Adaptation to climate change, yes, but what does that actually mean? Well, what does our sponsor say, or one of our sponsors? They say terrestrial and marine natural ecosystems, including iconic assets such as the Great Barrier Reef, are threatened in multiple ways by present-day climate variability. Strategies to adapt to these changes are needed. And I think that, that comes through as it's about recognizing, recording, monitoring, and managing ecosystem change. And as far as land care is concerned, all of those things are important, but particularly the last two, monitoring and managing ecosystem change. Managing for sure, land care is not necessarily as good as it might be in terms of monitoring, and that's something we do need to keep in mind think about. The other thing they say is adaptation responses to climate change take place in the social, economic, and institutional context of society. That again echoes what Mark was saying. We have to think about the context in which we operate. And at the micro level, each land care operation has its own context. And it might be different from the next door one, and certainly different from one several kilometers away. So we need to think in that contextual way. So a couple of recent um, scientific articles have been quite interesting in exploring some of this. One, an article in Bioscience just in last April, where it said conservation efforts traditionally were focused on protecting ecosystems within reserves and restoring degraded lands. However, climate change ignores reserve boundaries and creates a moving target for preservation and restoration. This is leading ecologists to rethink traditional conservation strategies and they then go on in a paper that doesn't actually read anything. But this is is part of the problem. It's part of the problem because professionally, we really are challenged by models that don't measure up uh, exactly, reality which is confounding what the models are suggesting, uh, and the use of different models giving different answers. So we really are in a very different kind of world than we were several decades ago, and it all seemed rather simple. Another one, um, in a magazine produced by an international science program called Future Earth, interesting magazine, talked about an example of wildness in natural abundance flourishing near an abandoned factory in the heart of Rome, sustained by both neglect and stewardship. That's an interesting combination. Canberra, unfortunately, is so pure that we don't have much neglect yet. Um, I'm sure we will. I, um, I, I won't go into it. I'm trying to be nice to everybody. Um, I could name some areas of neglect, but do um, Anyway, the point is that their final point, this shows how human activities can produce unexpected ecologies, and how urban nature, so often conceived in terms of intentional planning and design, now there's Canberra, must also embrace happenstance, which is not Canberra. And that, I think, is a key message. It's talking about Rome, very ancient city with all kinds of stuff. Canberra, we need to think about these happenstance issues as well. And finally, that reef again. Um, Terry Hughes and colleagues in a very recent article in, in Bioscience. Reef conservation must no longer be seen as an attempt to restore reefs of the past or to conserve their existing values, but rather to identify the parts of reefs that are essential for their continued existence. And finally, humans may need to help them adapt. So. Terry Hughes actually being a bit positive. Um, I'm afraid I regard him as being rather too negative half the time, but here I think this article is really an interesting one. It's saying the reality, things are gonna change, and we have to help that change. We can't pretend it's not happening. Uh, In coming centuries, reefs will transform into new configurations. (coughs) And in fact, as for reefs, so for all the sea and landscapes. We're all going to face transformational change. We don't yet know, though, what that change will be and how we'll be able to manage for it. And I think that means land care needs a new paradigm. We have to continue caring for land, but how we do it we might have to change. Well, not might, it will have to change. So can we fix it? Well. Humanity basically is at a point where we need to reinforce and reaffirm our stewardship. And I think stewardship is a really important word. It tends to be neglected a bit by the scientific community who don't quite like it. But I think it's really important. Uh, And it's being used more and more. Particularly in Europe, environmental stewardship uh, has become now uh, almost a rigueur. It's it's in many countries government-inspired. And it means that everybody is involved in looking after the land. Well, there are many more people in Europe, much denser populations than us. But when you look at where Australians are situated, we have the same problem. Uh, And so we do need to think about this issue of stewardship. And that means we need to ensure that we have the model of of societal and ecological management that that works for where we are, who we are, and what we are, and the resources we have. And again, the word value, you notice, is in that sentence. Mark has touched on that very eloquently, and it really is important. It's what we value and how we value it that is going to be important into the future. Of course, eco globalization, which is basically the mixing of biodiversity across the planet and its resulting homogenization, is one of the key issues. So, here we touch on something else. It's not just climate change. Climate change is the train that's coming down the tunnel at us, but It's the interaction between climate change and all the other aspects of global change. And eco-globalization is a real, real problem. And in order to sustain ecosystem capacity to produce services, we do need to ensure that we're enhancing the resilience of our ecosystems. And that does mean mending, mending them in some cases, supporting them and managing them. Almost never does it mean preservation, which we've talked about. And protected areas... I'm sorry, but we're really gonna to have to rethink what protected areas are and if they will work, because they simply may not in another couple of decades. That's one of my heretical bits. Um, ecosystem resilience in this century may be exceeded, <coughs> as I say, because not only of climate change, but with all the associated disturbances and global change. Uh, if you look at some of the planetary boundaries work, which has been done by, by some people in, in Stockholm and others, um, one of the critical issues they identify is actually nitrogen pollution, something we forget about. But we've used so much nitrogen across the world in enhancing our agricultural productivity to really high levels, which is good for many people uh, in terms of providing food, but we are also poisoning the planet as a result because a lot of it is running off, causing all kinds of other ecosystem disturbances. So these are things that we need to think about. It's not just climate change we're adapting to, it's it's the impact of climate change on all these other variables. Also, everybody talks about forests. You know, we just increase the forest, plant a few more trees. If you put a quantum slide, you can tick a box which says, yes, I'll give some extra, and somebody somewhere will plant a tree, who knows who, um, and what that will do. Forests are important, don't get me wrong, but wetlands are the undervalued resource on the planet. Um, it's, it's estimated that, in fact, coastal wetlands, mangrove forests, per, per area sequester probably the most carbon on the planet. Uh, so we need to think again about this. In the ACT, we have a lot of, of grasslands uh, and we're got to ensure uh, their long-term survival. And that's very real because grasslands may not look like a forest, but underneath what they're doing in terms of activating and storing and sequestering carbon is really, again, important. So, you all know about tipping points, I guess. Uh, what happens when uh, we reach a certain, a certain point? And this is part of the problem, that if you talk to politicians, uh, they will say, and this is it's going back a couple like, of decades now, but when I did one day talk to a minister uh, about um, endangered species legislation and whether it was appropriate or not, they looked out the window and said, yeah, but it's, it's not changed. It, nothing is changing, nothing's lost. Those trees were there yesterday, they'll be there tomorrow. Uh, maybe they will, but this is the whole point. We actually sit in a system where things look as though they're not changing. Uh, and, unless you see some of the graphs and so on that people like Mark produce. But people, ordinary people do not feel this. And worse, our politicians don't feel it. So they don't get that sense kind of urgency. And try to understand how we're going to manage a system which suddenly goes into chaotic dysfunction, is a real problem. So, the climate change response is not necessarily gradual, it will be sudden, plunging ecosystems into rapid and irreversible change. We do know that some species are moving, but these are actually a fraction of the Earth's biodiversity. Most species are staying where they are. Some may well survive. But we're going to see quite different species configurations, and probably quite soon. And that does mean, again, reassessing how we think and how we approach our ecosystems. And I've used again that word resilience. Providing we get resilience in the system, we may be able to head off some of these changes. And I want just to, to put in an indigenous thought at this point. Um, indigenous people not only in Australia but around the world have used fire as a natural disturbance and a natural management tool for, for millennia and it does play a major role in, in many societies and the danger that is exacerbated uh, by, by the use of fire not necessarily in terms of how indigenous fire use was but what is happening to that use in the current context of climate change because again Indigenous people in Australia have used fire in the context of gradual climate change. How that will play out into the future is again something we need to think very seriously about. So, the bottom line of all this is that, and this paraphrases one of Mark's lines as well, the only certainty is greater uncertainty in our knowledge of climate change is on the ecological and geophysical systems, and our ability to deal with that knowledge. The real problem is that all other species on the planet now depend on us in finding the right solutions. This is a picture of a jackass penguin in South Africa wondering who the jackass actually is. (laughs) And so what I want to do very briefly now is just go through a a series of projects that were funded under various land care initiatives and pick out in in the colored text the the points I want to to identify. Because I think if we look at what's (coughs) happening, how can we improve how we're doing, to get into this um, adaptation book. So first of all, here's a, a, a local one, uh, looking at ecological restoration uh, in Stranger's Paddock. There will be ecological restoration and establish a species-rich wetland. So there are two things, restoration, but also creation of new system. Here's one in in preserve Reserve in Orange, removing um, an environmental weed forth on. I'm genetically British, so Hawthorne, to me, is not wheat, it's a very nice thing.
1: Um
0: <laughs> well, That's just history. Um, Replanting with local native species in grasses and record the progress. That's the monitoring thing. You don't see that too often. And that can I re emphasized Is another one from southeast Queensland. The project will deliver a more engaged and knowledgeable land care community. Mm-hmm. Equipped with citizen science. I think we've got um, someone dealing with frog watch in the in this morning. Classic example of citizen science. Uh, and we need more of that. We need more watches. And then here's a project from BirdLife Australia. Raising awareness of the hooded plover. A threatened be- uh, beach nesting shorebird. So awareness raising materials, workshops and events. These are things that we can do in addition to uh, our hands on work in the bush. Workshops like this in the sense that converted are important, but we need to do this on a broader scale. One of the things that happened at the Majura Bush Week um, uh, a few weeks ago was a series of talks. Uh, these were very useful, I think, in trying to raise the profile of what we as a land care movement actually do and what we should be doing. And finally, um, up in uh, the Kimberley, using traditional knowledge. Traditional eco-knowledge in Australia is uh, is a very substantial body of knowledge that is sometimes sniffed at by the scientific community as being, yeah, yeah, it's okay, but how do you validate that? Well, we validate that by living in the same place for 60,000 years. Uh, and that's something we do need to be a lot more conscious about and we need to take a lot more notice of. It. Mm. Mm. So really, can we fix all this? Mm. Well to use the trademark, yes we can. Uh, And the vital elements are promoting ecosystem resilience, managing the human ecosystem interactions proactively, that's again coming from Mark, embracing the cultural underpinnings of environmental management, that's our own views, our own values, developing the right governance mechanisms, and communicating clear messages. This is really, really important, the communication of messages. Here's a message that is not clear, or at least it's ambiguous, this was uh, Diesel, uh, the fashion uh, empire, promoting uh, what they called a few years ago their global warming campaign. It's hardly helpful. And it's a picture of some tasteful, um, well, it depends on your point of view, tasteful people dressed in diesel clothes um, in uh, St. Mark's Plaza in Venice with parrots from the Amazon. It's trying to suggest that here is a positive from global warming. The fact that if global warming Goes on at the pace that it is, they will actually be thigh deep in water in some <laughs> plants. So communication is good, but not like this, please. Or at least better closed. Anyway, that here <laughs> is dealing with the, in great part with the biodiversity and its abiotic support system. And biodiversity, we have to remember, is the hierarchical connection between genes, species, and ecosystems. Very often biodiversity is equated only with species, and we forget the rest. That's not what biodiversity is about. So in the practice of land care, I think what we need to do is, and get used to doing is look at ecosystems, see the species, and think about the genes. Because it's the genes which in the end, concatenating up, are going to affect. So the genes are going to be what will in the end help species respond and adapt to climate change, or not, as the case may be. And those species will in turn resort themselves uh, into new-looking ecosystems. We should also remember the 4Fs. Forget threatened species. Now, that is, may sound theoretical, especially since I opened the Wise words of a threatened species commissioner. But frankly, some threatened species we have to forget, um, because they represent only the past. We have to focus on rarities. Now, rarities are not the same as threatened species. Rarities are different. Um, and they represent opportunity. Some species which are very rare and not or not particularly common might well become much more common in the future. We need, and this will cause some of you to swallow, favour good invasives. Mm-hmm. There are some species which will take their role in new ecosystems as we go through. And we should disfavour weeds or bad invasives. Now the problem is, and I'm hope that just um, going to talk a little bit more about this, is how do you tell the difference between those, those, those things? But we have to try because I think there is a difference. I spend a lot of time working on things which are now called novel ecosystems um, and some people like that and a lot of people don't. But we are actually in a world where we are going to have to deal with novel mixtures. Uh, and, and that is going to be one of the tricks that land care is going to have to learn how to deal with. And we're not, it's, there's no book on it. Um, it's something we're going to have to work with and learn as we go through. So, final messages we have real problems. Keeping faith in the Paris Agreement is great for mitigation, but we also need to develop these strategies for adaptation. There are solutions, but they need goodwill, they need widespread understanding. And they need commitment from national and international levels, of course, but this will only work if it's done at personal and local level, i.e. what you're all doing and what I hope you will continue to do uh, with increased focus on looking out for what you're doing, monitoring what you're doing, and how it changes. We all need to watch the space, we need to work as a community together, and we need to bring together different worldviews to link traditional and modern knowledges. That is, again, I emphasise something we really shouldn't think about. The local Aboriginal land care work is is extremely good in the ACT. We need to embrace that more thoroughly and support it more thoroughly. Above all, we cannot stop environmental change. It's, it's, already, it's already happening. Even if everything's if we produce no more carbon dioxide as of this moment, no, in other words, stop breathing, we can't stop environmental change. It's already here, built in. So, we need to adapt to what climate change throws at us and manage it well. And it's the N word, the manage, that's important. So, landcare, with the right governance, the right solutions, and human will, that's your will, can achieve these ecosystem uh, resilience mechanisms we need. And that local contribution uh, then becomes a contribution to our planetary stewardship. It's only by local actions across the planet that we will actually be able to manage the planet successfully uh, into the next century, which I hope not to be in. Um, And it will ultimately lead to a sustainable world, or else we'll be with the creatures on the right, and there are quite a lot of them, as you can see, just waiting for it to fail. Um, But I'm sure, given the attendance here, and the productivity of thought that I hope will come through later in the day that we will not fail and you will all be playing your role in ensuring land care is a key mechanism in adapting to climate change. Thank you very much.